And I really didn't have much to go after that. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're live now. So we got we got people um, in the chat. So spread this spread this um, link if if all everyone who can hear me, um, hopefully you, should, you all should be able to hear me and see the screen and everything like that. Let me go ahead to the to the screen. Uh, we deeply apologize for the delay. Um, you know, unforeseen uh, issue with uh, nature. <laughs> but um, so I'm gonna get, we're gonna give a little bit of time for people to spread this this. So listen, if you all can hear me right now, press one. And that'll be a good sign. And also spread this this link to those who were watching before. Uh, we had, you know, technical issue that just stopped the stream. But now we're back up and running. And so we are going to uh, continue to proceed. Asar was, uh, um, I think he pretty much knows where he left off or where you all left off at. And we're going to pick up from there. And we don't have too much long to go. So we know it's Saturday night, so, you know, sleep is for the week. Hope we appreciate everybody hanging out. Y'all could be doing something different or whatever the case is. But, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get this knowledge. And hopefully you all are paying attention because I'm seeing a lot of people comment and have these, you know, chit-chat conversations in the, in, the, um, in the chat. But there's information being taught. And, and this information, ling linguistics is, is, I keep saying this, is one of the most slept-on disciplines in science one of the most slept on scientific disciplines and it's complex it's not hard but it, it's complex and you have to understand key elements within it and so i'm seeing people having conversations that are not you know paying attention and and you're, you're and you're missing out so so go back and watch these videos uh brother reggie's presentation what asara is going through and you know if time permits then something that um i'm gonna uh, give all right so so um just kind of stalling right now trying to buy some time hopefully everyone will uh pass the link around and uh you know so i know this is going to be archived so you know one thing whatever we say is going to be on here and i guess it's going to be a three-part video but um anyway so i guess we can pretty much kind of pick up on it but i hope that people are uh will be paying attention i saw the brother net and Neb typing uh the brother wasn't paying attention because if he was paying attention uh half the stuff he was typing he wouldn't have to type and so um you know uh and that goes for some other people that was in the chat so you know we we want people to be attentive just just listen you know we got to practice some 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 discipline you know just just listen for a minute you know uh, we patiently listen to Brother Reggie, uh, let him uh, do his thing completely uninterrupted. Um, and and I appreciate everything that Reggie said um, and, and the whole nine. You know, this is kind of rare when, when we can get presentations done without the without all the immaturity that we see in the communities. So so this is a fresh this is a breath of fresh air. So let's keep this up. And um, so again, we got some people. All right, so sorry. Whenever you you ready, I was trying to stall. Uh, yeah. Again, I don't have much to go. Like I was basically done. Okay, um, cause you cause you're not sharing your screen episode. anymore though. Yeah, I know. Oh, okay, um, okay. So let me just let me know when you're ready. I was just trying to uh kind of buy some time. Okay. Uh. So when I, I looked at the footage of the last um stream, so it ended at least with me uh, doing the, the feminine, uh, the addressing the feminine tea. So from there, I jumped to this uh, aspect. So this is actually from my book. Um, and that I made, you know, parts of it from the slide. So I, I show that, you know, you have Kim to tear out, you know, kind of separate to show the correspondence between uh, Egyptian K and Shiluba K and Egyptian M and Jiluba Inda, um, which is just a nasalized variation of the L. So we already proved that L corresponds to M. And so when that L is nasalized, it too turns the L into D. And so that's all this is, it's a nasalized uh, lateral approximate, and then becomes D. And so that's that's why they correspond. And so the, the, the cognate for Egypt is Shienkanda piece of land, a field, a part of the field being plowed in the day. Um, 
And so if people don't understand it, there's, you know, there's Kemet's outside of Kemet. And even in the Egyptian records, you find Wakemet, Wakanda, basically, uh, in Upper Nubia. Wakemet, a Sudani country, whence came uh, Mother of Emerald. So this is uh, Budge, and here's another um, citation for this, this place name here. So this is Buganda, Bukan. That's what this is. Um, and so what, what I was stating is that the, the names of, of, of Kemet exist outside of Kemet. And if we are to, uh, to really just put the icing on the top of this, we would have to show a tradition in Africa of place names being called Cognis for Kemet. And so we went through all the, the sound correspondences between KM, uh, KND, and, uh, and KNG, or like Congo. So what I was showing is that in all these, these are, the first column is the, the place name, the second column is the country, the third column is the location within the country, and then the fourth column is what we call the feature class. So it lets you know what it is, a populated place. In other words, this would be the classifier. It lets you know that it's a populated place. And so Bukama, Democratic Republic of Congo, um, there's a populated place called that, and then there's a third order administrative division called that. Bukama in another area, a populated place. Bukama, um, Upper Lomani, that's, that's French. And so triangulation station is it letting you know these spots. Bukama, Democratic Republic of Congo. Then you can go to Nigeria, Kami, Kamit. In other words, ancient Kemet isn't the only Kemet. You still have a Kemet in Nigeria. Populated place, Kami, Ivory Coast, Kami, Democratic Republic of Congo, Niger, Ivory Coast. And just like I showed, see what Brother Reggie tried to do is to downplay by trying to defer and deflect the fact that some of the uh, sources for those place names within Kemet were derived from uh, quote unquote white sources. But then he turns around and then quotes a white source uh, for what reasons we don't know. But he didn't give the context for why I was citing those. Those are places that are called Kemet in their variations within Kemet itself. So you have the nation Kemet, and then you have smaller Kemets within Kemet. And they're going to refer to either lakes or they're going to refer to population centers. And so just like that, you know, you have uh, these multiple Kemets in a single place, you find multiple Kemets in um, these other locations. So in, uh, remember, like the Ivory Coast, Democratic Republic of Congo, these are all more modern um, uh, borders as a result of the 1884-1885 Berlin Conference. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, we don't necessarily have to pay attention to these borders. Um, but these are the indigenous names for these places. And so you have Kami in the Ivory Coast, Kami in Niger, Kami Ngindi in Ivory Coast. So this lets you know that Ngindi is a type of Kami. Kami Koru in Mali is a type of Kami. That means it's a type of place. Republic of Congo, Kami, Kamiya, Democratic Republic of Congo, in uh, Lomami, Kami, Rwanda. I'm going, I'm skipping all across Africa here. East, West, South Africa. Ukam in Nigeria. Ikot Akpan Ukam, Nigeria. Okot Obong Ukam, Nigeria. Otkami in Chad. Bukanda. Remember, because this is a dialectical variation of the word Kam or Kemet. Bukanda, South Africa, is a farm. Bukanda, Third Order Administrative Division. Bukanda, Liberia, populated place. Bukanda has nothing to do with white people. Has nothing to do with Wakanda and um, and Marvel. These, these are all indigenous African names. They got Wakanda from these names. And so, Winakanda, Democratic Republic of Congo, 
Yoli Conda, Republic of Congo, Conda Conda. It's double Conda, Democratic food. So just like how we had uh, Ham Hamit in Egyptian, Conda Conda, cognates. So we see that repeat. So we see that same practice in um, the Democratic Republic of Congo. In Niger, Democratic Republic of Congo again, Nigeria, Malawi, Niger, Conda Conda, Manima Conda Mali, Sola Conda Mali, Garin Conda Niger, Yindi Conda Mali, Anaconda Mali, Conda Cameroon, Kamba Conda, Democratic Republic of Congo, Econda, Econda in Uganda, Okanda Penda, Republic of Congo. And so just like how we would find it in um, Egyptian, we should also find these same words for words for water spots. And so Bukama, stream, Ukami, stream, Kami, Kamdam, Zimbabwe, reservoirs, Bukanda, Zambia, stream, Ikanda, stream, Kanda, Democratic Republic of Congo, stream, Kanda, Kanda, Kanda again, Kasai, stream, Kanda, Democratic Republic of Congo, stream, Kanda, Cameroon, Ivory Coast, from West, Central, East to South Africa, same names. Same for um, um, hills and peaks and forests and marshes. Kanda, 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 Bukanda, Kami, Kaimboshi, Zambia, Kami, Karu, Mali, Peak de Kami, Ivory Coast. The K and Gs correspond as we've already demonstrated. So Kanda is also going to be pronounced Ganda. Ganda, 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 Niger, population centers, populated places, populated places, all these centers, all Ganda, Ganda, from Angola, Agricoast, South Sudan, Mozambique, Democratic Republic of Congo, Kenya, to Ethiopia, Cameroon, Ganda, Mongo, Ganda, Gulu, Ganda, Lele, Ganda, Abahi in Ethiopia, Ganda, Angola, Inganda. Oenganda, Namibia, that's the Herero folks. So this is where you see this here, village. Ganda, South Africa, East Cape, a populated place. So just in the same fashion, you'll find waters spots named Ganda. From Angola, Republic of Congo, South Sudan, Niger, Angola. All Ganda. Congo, same thing. This is another cognate with the word Kemet, and I demonstrate that in the text. Populated place from Ghana, Republic of Congo, Mali, Tanzania, Congolo, Congo, Congo, Tanzania. Populated place, Congo, Angola, area, Congo, Sierra Leone. You got Congo and Sierra Leone, Nigeria, Namibia, Gabon, Sudan again. Why is all this in the Sudan and all these West Africa? Remember that the Egyptians came from the South, right? So they would name the stuff the same way that you would do in the South, right? This is the South. Democratic Republic of Congo, Sudan, Mali. Well, that's West Coast. This, this is the South. This is down the Great Lakes area. All these words for the same thing. So I show that they can mean camp, village, you know, say other probably, but it tells you what the, the true definition is. Besides village, a properly a new pasturage with an abundance of grass and water. That's why they're all population centers and why they also double as words for rivers and streams and lakes. That's why Kim Word is not the great black. It's a great lake. It's all, all the Kim words and the uh, Mer words in Egypt are big ass lakes and they're not black in color. I've been there. I got photos. They're not talking about blackness and color. And so where we stopped the last time, and this is where I'll end, is that in the UNESCO conference, um, they noted Professor Gordon uh, Jacquet, um, who, who made this observation. And so you can read this in the Peopling of Ancient Egypt and the Deciphering of the Marathi Script, 1978. So let me kind of scroll out just a little bit so y'all can see it a little bit more. Maybe I did it too. Uh, do 280. Is that good? Yeah, that be... All right. So, Professor Gordon stated that the study of Egyptian toponymy, because remember, Kemet is a toponym. 
It doesn't describe people. Could perhaps be brought to bear in support of the assertion that no massive immigrations or invasions of foreign populations had arrived in Egypt, at least since Neolithic times. It is a well-known phenomenon that topographical names were extremely long-lived and that each successive language group inhabiting the same area would leave its mark on that area in the form of place names, more or less numerous depending on the size of the population and the length of time of its pre uh, predominance in that area. Any important permanent addition to Egyptian population from the exterior would certainly have left this mark on the toponymy of the country. In other words, if the ancient Egyptians would have came from somewhere else outside of Africa, that it would reflect names, the toponyms would reflect names in the languages external to uh, Egypt and Africa in general. This was not the case. The toponymy of Egypt was very homogenous, displaying names whose etymology could almost always, could almost without exception be explained by the Egyptian language itself. And so, and, and we did those proofs already. It was only at the Ptolemaic period and still later after the Arab conquest that names of respectively Greek and Arabic origin were added to the basic fund of Egyptian names. It was only in the peripheral regions, Nubia, the Western Oasis and Eastern Delta regions in immediate contact with the neighboring people speaking other languages where names whose etymology could be traced to those foreign languages were to be found. So in other words, the Egyptian toponymy are names that are inherited from its pre-dialectical parent. All of these names are indigenous to Egypt. You don't have to go outside of, of, of Egypt to, to uh, get to the, uh, the meanings of these names. And so that's what that internal work that I did uh, helped to demonstrate. We go to the external to do uh, confirmations, but there's a reason why I went through all of those different names because these are the cognates of Kemet across Africa, all these population centers. And I exhaust, I didn't just give a few examples. I exhausted these examples. And so the same naming procedures that you find in the rest of Africa, you find in Egypt, which we would expect since Egypt is related to all these other languages for which we compare to. So the Egyptians are not going to um, just invent some new way to name themselves in the country. They're just following the blueprint from their cousins everywhere else on the continent. And so this is why you can't argue that this is going against Diop because Diop's method is to check place names, ethnic names and words to show migrations. And so in that same book, the peopling of uh, ancient Egypt and uh, what's the name? Yeah, the peopling of ancient Egypt and the deciphering of the Marotic script, there's an article in there by Diop showing this method. So I, I actually, through my work, reinforced Diop's bigger claim that the ancient Egyptians were Black African people who came from the interior of Africa. This helps to prove it, because you can't find these names in Arabia, in Europe. These are all African indigenous names for their land and river spaces and streams. They're all consistent. They're internally consistent. They're valid. All of this follows the scientific method. And so, you know, I appreciate our good brother, but he's stepping into an arena that he has no training in. So he doesn't know how to answer. He didn't even know what the question was. And so he tried to dismiss linguistics when that is the very field that we're, we're having the conversation in. And so neither Diop, neither uh, Infudishi, neither um, Obinga, neither Raketi Amin, as great as they are, they have not studied and done this work. This is why Raketi Amin sends you Diop's work because she hasn't published and researched this. 
No one, none of these people have. And that's why they're fishing, just looking for straws, making all kinds of weird arguments instead of dealing with the argument itself. So the question is, how do you define, the, how, how do you um, um, prove that the word Kemet, that the meaning of the word Kemet? That's, that's the, 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 the fundamental question here. Regardless of what you think it means, that's your hypothesis, that it means black. You don't go looking for black. That's why we have a scientific process. So you can eliminate bias, because that's a bias. If I already think that the word Kemet means black, of course, if I find some lookalikes in some other languages that mean black, I'm going to declare victory. That's not how science works. And that's why Nader Nev is not a scientist. He's not a linguist. He's, he's just starting his journey. While Brother um, Reggie has a lot of years in conversation with, with some of our great elders, he has not researched this question. He has not studied linguistics. He has not presented this in, in front of no conference uh, amongst scholars and had argued these points. This is, this is out of his field. And so we got to stop acting as if this is just a simple question that you can just, you can just over the weekend, just, just, just Google search some things and, and then you have, uh, you've got an answer. That's not how this works. And, and I still haven't given y'all everything. Look how many pages this is. How many pages is this? This is 56 pages so far in my PDF of analysis. And I haven't even I haven't even gotten to some of the other details. Because it's not a fly by night, it's not a fly by weekend. I'm not I didn't look at this research question wasn't aimed to discredit. I just had a genuine research question. What is the etymology of the word Kemet? And so there's a way that you 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 do etymology, and you can't do etymology without the other languages, which is why again our good brother Reggie circumvented that, and he couldn't even deal with the. I've already proven, without a shadow of a doubt, what the meaning of Kemet is using the other three languages and the grammar rules. But because he doesn't have a background in it, he can't recognize it. He doesn't know what he's looking at. It's like somebody like when you when who doesn't know how to fix a car, the car stop and they just open the trunk and start looking around, hoping that they'll discover something that will help them instead of being instead of being familiar with how to fix cars. And so while I appreciate our good brother, he's wrong and he and he's way wrong. And he's way off and he's mischaracterizing, you know, arguments and, and, and don't know what the real argument is. And so I now turn it over to our good brother Wujawu, who would deal with those 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 other uh, uh, issues, which brother Reggie, for all his years, I don't know how you get this wrong um, for for studying this long, especially for under the greats. So, uh, brother Wujawu, whenever you're ready, you can go ahead. Okay, so um, <laughs> it's been a long night. So I'm going to try to keep this as brief as I can at the same time without um, diminishing the lesson that people should have and benefit from this. All right. So for those who can hear me, I, I really appreciate you hanging out and, uh, and hanging strong with us uh, through the, uh, the, three, the three videos now and all of that good stuff. So I appreciate that. And again, this is your brother Wujao and... All I'm going to do, I'm going I'm to get straight to the point. And um, I hope the brother uh, uh, Reggie will uh, take this information. And also the brother Netanyeb, um, you know, he really needs to pay attention um, because he doesn't know the grammar. Um, and, you know, so I'm going to, you know, give a little lesson about uh, the grammar because a lot of emphasis, uh, uh, emphasis was put on rules. Uh, quoting rules from Europeans, but at, while at the same time, one side of the neck was quoting rules from Europeans, 
And the other side of the neck was uh, dissing them, which uh, I don't understand. This is why I don't get involved with the color crayon Crayola color wars and all of that stuff. You know, as a scientist, I follow evidence and demonstration beats conversation each and every time. All right. So first of all, what I want to do is I want to take back the credit that was given to the, our good brother, Reggie. Um, if you all can see my screen, this is one of Reggie's slides. If you all recall when the brother Reggie was presenting, this is the point where Reggie slowed down and uh, he, he gave a good uh, performance uh, where he slowed down and he wanted and he acted like how a boring, in his words, I'm paraphrasing though, how white people deliver information dry and boring. And so he read all of this very, very slow, et cetera, et cetera. Then he showed us this. And so Reggie's of the assumption because he hasn't re researched this, this question. And I told the brother Reggie uh, over the phone that, you know, I, I open-minded, I'll listen to what he has to say, and I hope that he brings something to the table that I don't already know. And I will say this for the record, absolutely nothing that Reggie said tonight or that he showed are things that are new to me at all, okay? Including this here. This slide here that he showed was supposed to be, was set up to be like a bomb and it was really a dud. The, the, if y'all can see my cursor here, this is from the pyramid text. Okay, this is actually from the pyramid text of Neith, this particular one. And so uh, in this particular line that he was pointing out, the point that he was making to show this was to take a stab at Ogden Goulet's work when he did a survey of the toponym or the place name that the Remich called their land Kemet. And so in his text, which Reggie also quoted, which is from what Asar had quoted, was that the first use of the toponym Kemet as a name for the entire country, the kingdom, or the polity or the state, however you want to word it, was during the 11th dynasty. So Brother Reggie was saying that, you know, it's okay to quote white scholars, but you got to check behind them. So he shows this to, to show that Goulet was wrong. But in fact, the Brother Reggie is wrong. This particular word here is kemetiu. It's not the word kemet. This bird here is the G4 buzzard bird for the tu. This particular word simply means those of Kemet. This particular Kemet is not identifying the entire country. This particular Kemet, if you actually read the pyramid text and study the pyramid text within the original language, you will know that this particular uh, place is not the entire country. It's just one of the smaller places within Tawi. The, the, the two lands that Asar spoke about earlier. There were a lot of little Kemets within the country Kemet prior to the country being called Kemet. So Ogden Goulet was 100% correct when he said that the country as a whole, the nation as a whole, the polity as a whole, the kingdom as a whole was not called such until the 11th dynasty. Okay? So... This particular, and, and if you read this here, this says, aha ek, which means you stand, kenti, before or in front of, shenut, this is a word for chapels. You will stand in front of chapels like the deity men. Next line, it says, you will also stand in front of those of Kemet, talking about that small location not the entire country like the deity apis the bull or hap as it has here okay that's what it says and so i encourage people to actually read text for context and content and not just do searches to argue and win a debate that is the wrong way and method or encouragement of our younger people coming up, trying to be researchers, moving from being enthusiasts and, and moving into real research, that is a, a bad way 
to to bring people into the fold. So I encourage people to read content, context. All right. So that's number one. This is not new. Actually, I'm going to show you how it's not new. If you look in the TLA, which is the electronic version of the German Waterbach Egyptian Sprach, the, 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 the most elaborate Egyptian dictionary that we have to date. If you look in there, you will find reference to this exact same word and the same pyramid text. Pyramid text of Pepe the First, pyramid text what? 674. And if I go back here, you can see here, Sprock or Sprock 674. So it's in all of the books. So it's not something that, as Reggie, Brother Reggie says, this plate is hidden from almost every translation of the pyramid text, but referred to or Egyptologists hide. See, there's no conspiracy. We don't have to invent conspiracy theories because when you actually read this stuff and you actually study this stuff, it's available. It's not hidden at all. Okay. So this is just an entry inside of it. And it shows you multiple entries where it has the lines, um, the, the pyramid of Neith. Uh, you see it's in the pyramid text of Neith as well. And so you see this is where this N is, is here for. Okay. Not Pepe. It's also in Pepe as well. But he has Pepe up here. But this, is, but this particular example is from Neith. So you see here Pepe the first, Neith. Pepe the second, same thing. It's saying the same thing. It actually tells you, you will stand before the inhabitants of Egypt, as, as they translate it, like Apis. All right? So that's number one. All right? Now, as far as the rule is concerned, uh, what I would like to do is to really educate people on this idea that... Um, that Asar broke a rule or avoided a rule or whatever the case is. But before I do that, um, I have to say this, that I have to go back to this, that there's two hypotheses, okay? One is that Kemet means black land. Did you all know that Diop was against this hypothesis? But yet the brother Reggie, as well as the brother Nedineb, is arguing for this hypothesis. So in essence, these two brothers are good brothers. They are going against Shekhantajiop, but it's not blatantly done. So they're given the impression that Asar, see this, this is where you play on the emotions of people. They give the impressions that Asar is going against Diop to play the emotional card that we have attachments and tethered to Diop as a, as, a, as a genius. But yet at the same time, they themselves are going against Diop. Because Diop himself says here, a quote out of Diop. He says, in fact, we know that the Egyptians called their country Kemet, which means black in their language. The interpretation according to which Kemet designates the black soil of Egypt rather than the black man and by extension, the black race of the country of blacks stems from a gratuitous distortion by the minds aware of what an exact interpretation of this would imply. So our good brothers Reggie and Nedineb are going against Shekhan Diop, but at the same time would like the audience to believe that they're not and only Asar is going against Shekhan Diop. When Asar is actually doing what Diop tells us all to do which is what I'm showing on the screen now. Again, to reiterate, he says, it I'm just reading the red. It bothers me when someone takes me on my word without developing a means of verifying what I say. Isn't that what Asar did? He developed a mean to either prove or disprove what Diop said. He goes on, we must form a scientific spirit which is what Asar did, a scientific demonstration using the scientific method of historical comparative linguistics, capable of seeing even the weaknesses of our own proofs. That's what Asar showed, of seeing an unfinished side of our work. Again, that's what Asar showed, unfinished work, and of committing ourselves to completing it. That's what Asar is doing, soon to publish this in a book. 
Therefore, we should have a work which can honestly stand criticism because what we have done would have been placed on a scientific plane. That's exactly what our brother Asari Motep is doing. So, so, so the idea to paint the picture like Asar is going against Diop is a slick way to avoid the actual issue, which brings me back to the actual issue. If you all remember, I, I tried my best to shape the conversation. I said what the question was not about. So I'm going to reiterate it. Does black exist as an adjective in ancient Egyptian? That's not a question. That's not the question. We know it exists in, in ancient Egyptian. Can we find cognizance of, of the adjective black in related African language? That's not the question. We know we could do that. We've been doing that. People have been doing that. I can show you a website called Egyptian Search that goes back to 1998 where people are doing that, including Asar Imhotep is on there. All right. Three, did the Egyptians use color terms to describe a person or a thing? That's not a question. We know they did that. Do classifiers have to be present for every attestation of a word? We know about that. None of these are the question, but actually what the brother Reggie did tonight was he actually addressed these four things that are not even an issue, which is why I said them before the brother Reggie started so that it will shape the, the, the conversation to be on point with the question. So what was the question? The question is, what does the word Kemet mean? And by Kemet, we're talking about the, the name of the country, kingdom, polity, state, the toponym, Kemet. What does it mean? That's the question. All right. So and none of that was covered. So very quickly, what I want to do is reiterate and I'm not going to go over it again. I've done a whole video on this, but I want to reiterate that toponyms never ever refer to or describe people. Toponyms always refer to places. That's why it's called toponym. The word toponym comes from the Greek topos meaning place and onym meaning name. Toponyms are place names. And we have to understand that toponyms are place names. There are different kinds of toponyms. There are toponyms or place names that refer to water. They're called hydronymic toponyms, as you see over here. So when I say the Atlantic Ocean, that is a hydronym, which is a type of toponym. If I say Mount Kilimanjaro or Mount Everest or Appalachian Mountains, that is an oronymic toponym. Oronym being a mountain name. Never referring to people. If I wanted to refer to people, that's called an ethnonym. And there's two types of ethnonyms. There are ethnonyms where people name themselves, which is called an endonymic ethnonym self-named and then there's an exonym nimic ethnonym people who are named by foreigners okay so people have to understand that and quickly eponym eponym is over here by itself because eponym has to be attached to either a toponym or an ethnonym eponym is simply something uh, a person or a place or a thing named after a person so the example that we all are familiar with Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard or Malcolm X Boulevard. Those are streets. Those are places and streets that are named after a person. It doesn't refer to the person. It's named after the person. You don't tell somebody to turn left on Malcolm X Boulevard and they're expecting to see Malcolm X there. Malcolm X could talk. The street can't. Malcolm X Boulevard is referring to, pointing to a street, not the person. Okay, so I want everybody to get that in their head. This is something I already went over, so I'm just laying that out there. All right. So the word Kemet as the name of the place could never 
refer to people. It doesn't refer to people. Nobody addressed that. Nedarneb goes on and on about how Asar supposedly didn't address adjectives or adjective nouns, adjective nouns and things like that. But Nedarneb never addressed the toponym issue, which should be number one. Kemet is a place. Toponym. Brother Asar showed this slide. These are toponymic determinatives or classifiers. So these water ones would be hydronymic toponymic uh, determinatives. These are place name determinatives here. Everyone should be familiar with this. So what has to happen is people have to downplay the use of determinatives. If you, if you notice all of the arguments so far from both Nedaneb and our good brother Reggie, that there's always a downplaying of something. There's a downplaying of determinatives. There's a downplaying of what somebody wrote because of their skin color. Not looking at the evidence. So we have to be careful of doing that. And I don't encourage people to do that. A scientist follows the evidence. Demonstration beats conversation. All right. So I want everybody to under, uh, understand those things. Here are some examples of some Egyptian toponyms places this is the happy notice the three water ripples this will be a hydronymic toponym it's the name of a body of water a river the Nile River we call it today Mahet which is a swampy area full of water the Delta marshes all of these place all these words here are place names look at the last one Abu so let's use, like Asar said, let's use, use the logic of a rule that Brother Reggie nor Nedaneb really understands. And I'm going to show you all in a second um, the rule that they keep talking about, talking around, but they don't really explain it. If we use the rule and put a T, uh, the bread loaf, which is a T here, and put two people, uh, the seated man and woman, and the three strokes that people believe that's plural, then what I'm saying using their logic is that the people in this place look like elephants, just like Asar did with the fish. And that's not true. So the logic is flawed. Why? Because it's not true. These are place names. It's just that simple. All right. So I don't want to dwell on that because, like I said, we've done presentations uh, uh, on that. So what I want to do, I want to change over and give you all a lesson about this rule that they do not understand. So first, let me explain. Uh, let me explain something. And I need to find it. Hot second here. So what I'm going to show you, what I'm going to show you is something that um, we should all know and why it's not for those who study, why it's not a big deal. Now, there are people who are beginners and, um, you know, in this. And I encourage people to learn the language all the time, all the time. But when you're when you're beginning, even in an initiatory setting, usually with an initiatory uh, environment, you're taught that when you are a neophyte in something, that you should be silent and quiet. Why? Because you're not mature enough in the information to actually speak about it. And this is this is something that I think our good brothers need to take heed to because they don't have enough information, one, to share in an authoritative way and then to actually try to debate. And this is why I, I tell people I don't debate. I rather I teach. And so on our screen right here, I have what's called the two types of nouns. Now, people may not realize this, but the English word noun that we use today 
comes from the Latin word nomen, and it means name or noun. Now, there are two types of nomens. There's one called a substantive. In the Latin, it would be substantivum. And the other one is adjectivum. We call it an adjective. So what happened in English, we actually swapped this word substantive. We changed that to noun. And what happens is it loses the branching to let us know that actually what we call nouns today and what we call adjectives today are actually two types of the same thing. If we knew that, then people wouldn't walk around and repeat every two minutes out their mouth, adjectives can be nouns, adjectives can be nouns. Because we would already know, people who study this already know that adjectives and nouns that we call them today are the same. So those of us who actually study the grammar, we use the word substantive so that we can keep this branching effect and understand what's going on. So a substantive is the same as an adjective. The only difference is that an adjective refers to an entity just like a substantive does, but an adjective also refers to a property of that entity. That's why they have the prefix ad. The Latin word adjectivum means to add on or to add near something. So they added on a second uh, phenomenon to the first. So they took a substantive and they added another thing to it, which is to describe a property of something, and they called it an adjectivum, adjective. That's all. So adjectives and substantives are the same thing. Two of the same thing. This is why in the ancient Egyptian language that adjectives syntactically behave just like nouns. All right, so I'm going to show you this real quick. So we're going to have a, a quick lesson on adjectives. And I'll try to be fast but thorough at the same time. All right. I don't want to take too much time uh, from people who have been patiently um, watching. So adjectives. What are adjectives? Adjectives are a syntactic category of words used to modify, describe or qualify a noun, a noun phrase or a pronoun, giving more information about the referent. Accordingly. Adjectives indicate such things as size, measure, me or, and measurement, tall or long, feelings or qual qualities, lonely or honest, nationality or origin, Kenyan or American, characteristics, flashy or sharp, age, young or old, properties, wooden or cotton, shape, round or square, judgment or value, awesome, pointless, condition, rugged, volatile, color, green, blue, or weight, heavy, light. Here's some Rodney Kemet examples. By the way, Rodney Kemet is the indigenous name of the language. All right. So whenever you hear me say Rodney Kemet, I'm talking about the ancient Egyptian language. So here's some examples. We have Nefer, uh, good and Ben, which which covers value, which is bad. Desher and Kim, black, which is uh, and red for colors, shape, Shafu, swollen, Wasek, wide, etc. So I'm not going to read them all, but these are just some examples. Now, Rodney Kemet adjectives may be divided into two main categories, qualifying adjectives and relational adjectives, also called Nisbi adjectives. All right, the word Nisbi comes from the Arabic uh, grammar, um, and it's a word that means relation, okay? So, there, so remember, there's two kinds of adjectives, qualifying adjectives and relational adjectives, and students who follow their God, James P. Allen, will say primary adjectives, all right? So I noticed that Brother Reggie calls Europeans gods, though, tonight. He's the only one that did that. So, you know, in the spirit of what Reggie did, uh, I just want to point that out. But James P. Allen will call them primary adjectives. So watch for people who say primary adjectives, and you can tell who they're a student of, okay, as a FYI. But they're called qualifying adjectives and relational adjectives that are nicknamed NISBYs, all right? So I just want to explain 
like I said, I'm not going to dwell on this because uh, I'm, I'm not my intent is not to give an exhaustive lesson. This is something that I teach. I've been teaching for over seven years, about eight years now. All right. So I'm not trying to give a whole lesson, but I need to cover enough so you'll understand what the issues are tonight when they try to talk about a rule that they don't understand. So qualifying adjectives, what are they? A qualifying adjective is an adjective that denotes either a property or a property and an entity at the same time. One of the most common qualifying adjectives is the word nefer. When denoting just a property, it means good or beautiful. But when denoting a property and an entity together, it means good one or beautiful one. Qualifying adjectives that refer only to a property are used as predicates, also referred to as predicative adjectives in adjectival sentences. In this use, they are invariable, which means or or um, uh, which means they exhibit no declensional endings for gender or number, except in the simple form of the masculine singer singular. In other words, that when they're used as predicates, they don't have the declensional endings of to show gender and number, plural or whatnot. They come in one form, which is masculine singular. So in here, I say adjectival sentences will be taken up later. But here's an example. Nefer heret ten. The adjective comes first. The sentence means this flower is beautiful. But if I were to read it in its uh, 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 order that we see, it's nefer heret ten, which would be beautiful flower this. The adjective comes first. The adjective is, is masculine singular, but the but what it's describing is feminine singular. Heret, flower, is feminine. So I'm just showing an example. This is an example of an adjective that is used as a predicate. And it's only referring to a property, not an entity and a property at the same time. Why? Because the entity is, is, is spoken of. Flower, heret. All right? Now, a qualifying adjective that refer to a property and an entity are variable, which means they do go through all the declensional endings that nouns or substantives go, go through for gender and number. The gender and number endings refer to the entity denoted by the adjective. So here's an example using the same adjective, nefer, masculine singular, nefer, dual, neferwi, plural, neferu, feminine, neferet. Dual neferti and plural neferut or neferwet, as some people may pronounce it. So they go through the same morphological, they behave the same way morphologically as substantives. Why? Because of what I said earlier. And here's why. Adjectives describe entities as well as the properties, whereas substantives only refer to entities. So we have two uh, 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 qualifying adjectives a property by itself it's invariable it exhibits no declensional endings it only exists in the masculine singular if they if they if they uh, deal with a property and an entity at the same time they are variable and they go through all of the changes that substantives or nouns go through this is why when people who don't know and they find out they may be shocked and they have to repeat it over and over again. Adjectives can be nouns. Adjectives can be nouns. It's like, okay, we know that. All right. Just to continue, just a little bit more with this. Qualifying adjectives that denote a property and an entity may be used independently or dependently. So remember, I'm only talking about this kind of adjective now, the ones that, that denote a property and an entity. Remember, they are variable. And so they can be used independently or dependently. When used independently, they function as substantives. That is a substantival adjective. In fact, the grammar tradition of Greek and Latin from which many descriptive linguistic terms originate, adjectives were considered one subtype of nouns. This is what I said already, along with substantives being the other. 
They were referred to in Latin as nomen adjectivum and nomen substantivum. An example of a qualifying adjective used independently is neferet. This is what they like to use. This is what the brother Reggie uh, pulled up. This is what the brother Netanet pulled up. Being used independently, neferet. Remember, if it, if it denotes an entity and a property, it means beautiful one. Where nefer refers to the property beautiful and the T, bread loaf, ending refers to a singular feminine entity, one. So we would have to translate in English as one, beautiful one. We are not informed on whether the singular feminine entity is a human, an animal, or a thing. We know nothing if we just see it like this. Determinatives or classifiers, or as we also call semantemes, assist with the info informing us of this as in these examples. So we have wab, pure one. It's describing an entity and a property, but we have no idea what the entity is. So the scribes helped us out by putting a determinative there. Now we know we're talking about a pure man or pure human being wab this is the same word wab both of these words are wab a feminine example neferet by itself all we know that it means beautiful one but we don't know what one is but now the scribes helps us out they put a determinative there semantic semantics helps out the meaning a beautiful cattle or bovine or cow or bull now we know Okay. Now, when used dependently, and this will be the last thing on this, they are often referred to as attributive adjectives and have the following characteristics. They are placed after the substantive to which they refer, forming a substantival phrase, in, uh, which is explained later. Two, they agree with the substantive, substantive in gender and number. So here's some examples. And this is what Asar mentioned earlier. We have set waret. The word set means seat. Waret means great. Set is feminine and singular. Therefore, waret has to be feminine and singular. So you see the bread loaf for set and the bread loaf for waret. Great seat. That's a feminine example. Here's a masculine example. Netcher ah. Netcher is masculine singular. Therefore, the attributive adjective that's modifying it is also masculine singular, ah. If this was feminine, it would be naturet, aet. But it's not. All right? So, I'm not going to go any further with that, but there, there's, there's, there's more about that. Uh, this particular diagram is showing that what people are calling a feminine T is not necessarily a feminine T, just like the three strokes is not necessarily plural. Okay, the bread loaf also denotes abstraction. So I give examples here, Bennett, that which is evil. Jute, that which is bad. From the word Jew. Neferet, that which is good. So this T is not always only a gender morpheme denoting feminine. All right, and we call these a portmanteau morphemes where, where one morph will represent multiple morphemes at the same time. But like I said, these are things that we discuss in actual grammar classes about the language. So I don't want to go too far and over, you know, and over um, extend the conversation about this so that's with that all right now i want to quickly um go over to nouns that we call substantives and let me just find my cursor here so again just to reiterate so everyone will understand that why we use the word substantive and not noun. So we make use of the word substantive instead of the commonly used noun. The English word noun comes from the Latin nomen, noun, 
name or noun. In the grammatical tradition of Greek and Latin, from which the many descriptive uh, linguistic terms originate, substantives are, were considered one of the subtypes of nomen, nouns, along with adjectives being the other. They were referred to in Latin as nomen substantivum and nomen adjectivum. I already said that. Um, as we will see later, this accounts for the close similarities in the morphological behavior between nouns and adjectives. So we have two types of nouns, substantives and adjectives. And so we give examples of nouns. So substantives or nouns are a syntactic category of words used to refer to people, objects, creatures, places, qualities, phenomenon, and abstract ideas as if they were all things. And so here's some examples of person, object, creature, place, quality, phenomenon, abstraction. I'm not going to read them all, but you can see them and pause this when you get a chance. Now, the reason why I am showing um, all of this is because I want to skip down because, because uh, like I said, I'm not trying to 